Are you wondering whether you should self-manage your properties or outsource them to third-party managers? Are you maybe frustrated by your inability to find good property managers? And are you looking for ways to drive more revenue in the properties you, you have? This episode is all about property management because we're asking ourselves all three of these questions, believe it or not. So in the past, I've said never to self-manage your properties. Now we're asking ourselves, hey, should we self-manage our properties? When does it make sense and when doesn't it make sense? You know, we've hired property managers in the in the past and we've had let them go. What can we do better to hire the right property manager right away. And then also, once we have a good property manager, what can we do collectively to look for opportunities to drive more revenue and decrease our expenses? So we're going to get to the bottom of all of these three questions in this episode. Sound good? Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts... Michael Block. This episode is sponsored by our Investor Incubator Mentoring Program. So if you are committed to doing your first deal this year and you believe in mentoring, if that describes you, then check out our mentoring program. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a strategy session. So I'm looking for my dream students, okay? These dream students are coachable, they're willing to do the work, and they're willing to invest in themselves, okay? If that describes you and you are committed to doing your first deal this year, then you might be one of my dream students. In fact, we guarantee in the program that you will do your first deal in the next 12 months, and we guarantee this. And if you don't, we'll continue working with you in a mentoring capacity until you do, because our success rate is so high, we know exactly the system to use. We just got to find the right person to do it. So mentoring may or may not be you to find out. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a strategy session. And, and after about 34 minutes, we'll find out if it's right for you. And if it's not right for you, maybe we have some resources that may help you achieve your goals as well. So head over to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call with us. All right, let's get right into the show. We have on the show today, Tony LeBlanc. It's a great last name, don't you think? Tony LeBlanc is on the show. He grew up living in an apartment building that his mother managed in Canada. And today, he owns one of the largest property management companies in Canada. And he's been so successful with his property management company and other businesses around that he just published a book called The Doorpreneur. It's on Amazon right now. And it's a fascinating book because it kind of gives you an inside insider's view on the property management business, which if you're a property manager is an absolute must read. But if you're an owner, it is a must read as well, because you have to know enough about the property management business to be able to manage the manager. And Tony really gives you a behind the scenes look of how he built up his property management company, some of the systems he built, and then how he made that, that business even more profitable. It calls it the doorpreneur method. So really excited about uh, this episode. We're going to get really deep on property management. Let's get right in the show. Here's Tony LeBlanc. Tony, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much, Michael. Glad to be here. So we're going to get deep on property management, which in my opinion, the property manager is the most important team member on the team, both leading up to an acquisition, but also certainly after the acquisition. And you have extremely deep property management experience. Just tell us a little bit more about your background. So yeah, so I've started, I'm a second generation property manager been around it my entire life. My mother was actually a resident manager and a VP of a management company for like 35 years. So 
I grew up living in an apartment building, being her secondhand man in terms of her being a resident manager. So cleaning hallways, mowing lawns, and kind of doing whatever I could to help out. Fast forward, I didn't get into it as a first career. My first career was actually as a software engineer with IBM for about 15 years. But I started investing early. I think I bought my first triplex when I was 23. Moved to the big city. My mom, of course, was still doing the management thing. And I called her. I'm like, Mom, I got a few bucks. Go out and find me a building. A couple of weeks later, it's like, oh, I found you this great little triplex turnkey. And uh, kind of away we went. So as I continued to live in Toronto, I continued buying smaller properties. And then once I got to a point with the software career, I was traveling a lot, wanted to get out of it. I've always known that I wanted to get back into property management. So then I started my own management company. And uh, yeah, 10 years have passed. And we now have three locations here in Eastern Canada. We've managed close to 2,000 doors. And we've been able to successfully spin off about seven other uh, businesses accompanying uh, the management company, which is now called, I call the Doorpreneur Way. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And that you've uh, also wrote a book called The Doorpreneur, sure. a big orange book. It's on Amazon and it really caught my attention. I was like, ooh, a preneur <laughs> and a doorpreneur. What the heck is that? What, uh, tell, us, tell us kind of what the book is about, why you wrote it. So for a long time, being around the management, com- or management business for so long, I've been able to see over through the years the stigma that property management has had. It's always had somewhat of a negative undertone in certain circles, some more than others and some not. So I started the comp- my company knowing that and we built an amazing company the first five years of the company. And we grew incredibly quick, got a lot of respect from kind of the community. However, it was still just a property management company. It was still... In the outside eye, it was unsexy. It was kind of, uh, that's a tough business, right? Uh, you know, I feel bad for you guys. You guys do property managing your landlords. And right. we got this crazy idea one day. We're like, we're going to take a look at our, our expenses. We're going to look at our rent rolls of all the different properties and where we're spending most money because we're looking for different opportunities. And lo and behold, an opportunity presented itself. And it happened to be kind of in the landscaping and snow removal environment. And we decided to get into it. We figured, okay, we can cut our teeth a little bit with our own portfolio, learn the business. Once we perfect it, we can then open it up to the general public. We've done that. And around two or three years later, something magical happened. Everybody start seeing us, me, the company, the organization incredibly different. Everybody kept on coming. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, I see your trucks all over the place. I'm like, you guys have built something really cool. And I'm like, hmm, something's going on here. And I'll never forget, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And he was like, the way that he described the way that kind of they seen our business now was like, it was almost like it was a legit business, not like it wasn't before, but it really gave a new perspective and a new level of respect for what we were doing. So we continued that. We went and we started a maintenance company. We started a commercial cleaning company. We started a brokerage component. And it's like all the while, the level of integrity and in terms of how the business is seen from the public's eye has completely transformed. And I'm like, if I can do this, what if other property managers could start doing this? And I'm wondering, how could that affect the industry as a whole? in terms of being able to see it through a different eye, in terms of not just being a landlord or a property babysitter, some people call them, but these are legitimate, very, very successful businesses killing it in different domains. 
So that's why I wrote the book. We, we figured something out and I want to put it out there. And this is my attempt to help the industry become more than what it is today. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like you said, the property management industry kind of has this, I don't know, negative connotation, right? It's kind of stodgy, old, boring, unprofitable, you yep. know, and you set about to try to change that. And yep. uh, and you outline some of that in your book. And I think it's a really clever way to essentially, even though I'm not a property manager, at least not right now, but we'll get back to that because that may be changing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. You know, even though I'm not a property manager, what it, what it does is it, it makes you want to take a look at whatever business you're in, whether you have a job or a business of some sort, and you're like, how can I make this more productive? How can I make this more profitable? So even Absolutely. when we're looking at our own properties, and I want to talk about that to you today, is you're looking at existing properties. My gosh, what can I do to increase the, the NOI in these properties without having to buy a new property, right? And so totally. you did the same thing. You looked at your business and it was okay, you know, yeah. probably, but like, what can I do to make this even more profitable? And so you kind of stumbled across this and you're like, my gosh, I can do that as well. Now, let me ask you before we get into this stuff. I mean, normally we advise people to use third-party managers for their buildings because it's not really the best, highest and best use of our time to yep. manage properties. We're you know, really spending time looking for deals and raising money and asset managing everything through a property manager. Yep. And what is your opinion of that? To what degree should an investor or owner self-manage versus outsource their properties? I'm a big believer in having some sort of hands-on experience at some point in their career. Now, most investors will start off, a lot of people that I work with in our circles, they'll start off buying a duplex, a triplex, and then they kind of gradually go up in unit count at some point in time. I always recommend that they have some sort of experience doing that day-to-day, -day, whether if it's the first month of owning a property, the first couple weeks, get a taste of being at the physical property, get a taste of dealing with tenants, get a taste of being put in certain circumstances that may or may not be fun so that you can have some sort of empathy towards different situations that property managers go through. And it's just the more education that you have on whether if it's your property now or future properties, the better in my opinion. Because yes, I, I agree that most investors should hire third-party property managers, but they also have to know enough to be able to manage their managers, right? They got to understand... The, the numbers they get expense you know they get to understand the different rules and regulations of where their properties are in terms of late rents and how to deal with evictions and all that fun stuff so without getting into it it's very hard to do it from a distance so i'm a big believer to have some experience you don't have to manage 100 properties or 1000 units just get your feet wet a little bit know the environments and be able to just be able to, to kind of work yourself through those situations I think that's really, really good advice, Tony, because it really does both things. Hey, yes, outsource it, but you have to know enough of material. You have to know enough to manage the manager. Yep. And I think some people get into this stuff and they hear this, oh, let's outsource it. And that's exactly what they do. They don't really know what's going on. They're almost like glorified bookkeepers. They're yep. much more proactive. They take the numbers and you know they watch the numbers, but that may not be the best in our best interest. What, what would be a better practice than doing it that way? I've, I've got some examples. Like I've, I've gotten a few owners over the last few years that they'll be across the country and completely in, a, in another province on the other side of the country. And they'll, they'll fly out here. They'll look at some properties and they'll buy something and they will never visit. Yeah. They barely call. And yet there'll be something that'll show up on their expense statement that they don't, I don't know, they didn't know or something goes and they just kind of fly off the deep end. And I didn't know this. Or I didn't know that. I didn't know this. And it's like, 
well, I can only engage so much that the owner also has to engage and they have to be part of the discussions. I think the ideal relationship between a property manager and investor is there's a lot of upfront getting to know each other when you first take over a building. The minimum, they should be getting together once a month to review the financials. Minimum, five-minute call, hour call, it doesn't matter. But it's going to help the investor in the long term. And it's also going to be a lot of help for the property manager as well because I hate bringing up surprises to my owners and I know they hate hearing them from me. So There's definitely a spectrum I observe of how uh, owners interact with their property manager. And the spectrum is really, really broad. You described probably one end of the spectrum where, you know, it's some some owner far away and they never visit the property and they glance at your P&Ls as long as the checks kind of sort of show up every single month. That's about it. Versus some of my peers who are essentially in the weeds with a property manager and in my estimation, a giant pain in the butt. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, You know, and that works for them. Now, I got to say, just basically looking at our own asset management, we have had, though we don't we don't file at either spectrum. We have been more on the I would say you know reactive more than the proactive side, and we have now come to the conclusion that we have to be much more involved with the proper manager, getting much more in, involved and in even who they hire, who they use, you know what the traffic count is, where they're coming from, how many like really demanding to see a lot more granularity. Which uh, you know especially when you're working with a property manager and you've been kind of you know standoffish surprises them. What do you think is the best way? for an owner to work with a property manager? Is something maybe a balance? And what do you see working the best? One of the best relationships that I have is with an owner. We manage, I don't know, maybe three or 400 units for him. And he's a couple hours away. So he's actually not that far. We do two things that has served us extremely well. We do a weekly call to discuss vacancies. So it's a, it's a simple, sometimes it's a five-minute discussion. Sometimes, depending on the time of year, it can be more or less. But the primary point of the discussion is where are we vacancy-wise? And if it's high, why? If it's low, great. Talk to you next week. (laughs) But vacancies are obviously of critical importance. And during that call, we'll also go over if there's any major issues, any major maintenance items that have been coming up. The second part is a monthly financial call to where we're actually reviewing the budget versus actuals. So this investor happens to be a very sophisticated investor. They have couple thousand units throughout different areas. So they come prepared. So they do their full financial budgets for all their buildings, all their properties and other companies. And it's great because they share that with us. We go through it. I give them my opinion. And then we can implement it in our management software. And it's very easy for all of us to be able to track budget versus actuals on a real-time basis. So that's proved very, very valuable for us. And it's, it's just kept everybody in check. It's the world of nobody likes surprises. Right. My owner doesn't want to know two weeks later that I spent $10,000 on half the roof that fell apart. Like, I got to give him a call that afternoon. Hey, you know, something happened. The wind blew and we got a, we got a major problem. Just let you know we're kind of working on it and I'll keep you posted throughout the progress. For the most part, that's all they want. They want to be kept in the loop. Don't surprise them with these big things because they're just going to get pissed off. And it, you know, it's just going to put you in a bad light. It's like, oh, you know, probably uh, then you start coming up with all these things that people say. So, 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's key is you don't want to be surprised, right? And no. you also want to the owner wants to know that the property manager knows what the heck is going on at all Absolutely. at all times, right? Like you said, oh, you know, you spent ten thousand dollars on something. Why did I not know about that? Actually, even in advance of you doing it. So this yeah. I like this weekly interaction you have. You're you're focusing on specific key metrics. I think you said uh, vacancies uh, and repair costs, right? Those are sometimes the biggest drivers of numbers. Absolutely. And that's a great, and then studying the numbers as, as well. And obviously you look at the NOI. If the NOI is on target, no one really asks a lot of questions, right? It's like when it's not on target, you're like, why? Is the income low? Do we have too many vacancies or are our expenses high, right? Then that's when you, and so you as a property manager have to be able to manage to a pro forma. And I think that is, from my observation, the hardest thing to do for property managers. Why? Why is that? Why is it so hard for many, most property managers to not be able to manage to a budget? Because their philosophy is, oh, something's broken or something needs to be done or something needs to be replaced. I'm just going to do it because I want to take care of the tenant. And philosophically, that's correct. That is correct. And I think, but not every... Not every repair, not every improvement falls into that category, yet I just find that most property managers don't really look at their expenses until the books are closed. They're like, oh crap, we spent a little bit, okay, a lot more last month, and it should have been caught when the tickets are being are being issued. So why is that such a big struggle for so many property managers? I would say it's mostly probably because of systems. And I will admit, we had have hit those types of issues to where my ops manager, so if we go through the life cycle of a maintenance call, let's, let's say a tenant calls in, something's happened, the toilet backed up. That's a perfect example for us. It's at least once every couple of weeks we get this. Toilet backs up, middle of the night or seven o'clock at night, whatever. My maintenance guy goes and fix it. Couldn't fix it, had to call a plumber. End of the day, it's like a $600 bill to find out that it was a, a Barbie doll that was stuck in the toilet. Now, a circumstance like that would blow the budget out. And unfortunately, those things happen. However, the property manager that's kind of has the owner's best interest at heart should be taking those types of things and that should be billable to the tenant. That's an issue that was, you know, yes, it was an accident, but um, unfortunately, Mr. or Mrs. Tenant, that's, that's not something that we should be paying for. Your kid dropped something on there, you know, you have to pay for that. But I also think it has to do with the general environment for most property managers. We can sometimes get sucked into the vortex to where we're trying to please our tenants and we got to do everything and everything to please them because it can be, there can be a lot of pressure at times to where they want this, they want that, they're, they're threatening to move. And you know, that's going to, it's going to be hard to backfill that unit and the owner's budgets may or may not have been properly assessed. So I think that has a lot to do with it. So the the management has a duty to include their staff, which includes maintenance or ops managers in the financial discussions and budgets of properties. That's what's key. Oftentimes, and again, I'm, I'm going to circle this back into the door printer way because I think it's very important to understand. Most property management companies are pretty small. To see a management company manage 500 or even a thousand doors is still pretty rare, right? There's a lot of mom and pop shops. So it's there's little staff. There may or may not be great communication going throughout. Typically, the owner of the management company is the only one talking to the owner of the buildings. He's hearing one thing. And then you got maintenance guys two or three levels down doing the work. And then it follows back up. And he's like, oh, crap, we shouldn't have spent that. And again, you're too late. So that's a big issue. Kind of circling back to, again, the doorpreneur model in terms of why we decided to go the way that we did was... I've always known that I want to deal with certain types of investors, sophisticated investors that kind of know what they're doing. 
I've always wanted to present a world-class business to be able to put in front of them. To build a world-class property management company is, is not that hard, but a lot of places it's going to be limited in size in terms of how big you can actually grow it. So we've utilized certain, you know, other business to accompany the management portfolio. And really now we're equipped with better staff, higher caliber staff, more accountability, more people that understand budgets and financials. Like that is to an owner or to an investor, I think that is like so important. And it's been so valuable for us. I think you're absolutely right. Systems are so important. People are obviously even more important than, than systems. Yeah. Uh, I think to me, it's like one of the biggest questions to ask for property management company. How do you actually manage to a pro forma? Like, what are your processes? I, I just, I just find that most people don't have the ability to do that. Now you're describing exactly what should happen, right? You should know exactly, Hey, I have a $500 expense. Yep. You should know how much you spent up to this month. And maybe you defer that replacing yep. that linoleum floor, for example, That's right? Yep. That requires real time updates on expenses to all staff that need to know these things. And that again, comes down to the software and the systems that you're using. A lot of property managers either aren't using the proper system or they're not using it correctly. That's what we're finding. They may actually have the absolute latest, you know, whatever system, but they're not actually using it. No. And that's uh, that's frustrating. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, uh, talk to us a little bit more about your doorpreneur method because it's really a kind of a, a method for trying to figure out where the opportunities lie in, in a business. How can I reduce expenses? How can I increase income? And yep. how can we apply that to apartment buildings? Um, so what we've done, the, the model itself was, okay, where essentially as a property management firm, where are we subbing out the most work? That's, that's the very first question that you want to ask, right? Where's most of the money going? Where I live, Eastern Canada, we have a lot of two things. We had a lot of cutting grass in the summer and we had a lot of moving of snow in the winter. So we quickly realized that our buildings required a lot of those services. And we also checked what were our biggest pain points in terms of dealing with subcontractors where we weren't happy with their quality of work and various criteria that we kind of looked at. So that was the initial step, right? So it's like, okay, we're going to expand this. We've reached a door count to where we're comfortable with. How do we grow a bigger organization? So we went that route. We went through the analysis. This is where we spend a lot of money. We then did some market research in that industry to find out, okay, how do I run a landscaping business? I don't know. You know, so we had to, we actually, for us, we went and bought a franchise. So again, it was kind of a cookie cutter out of the box. Here's your guidelines, here's your systems, and here's how to run this type of business. And it's great because you get to, again, initially kind of cut your teeth with your own properties, all while providing complete transparency and pricing details and all that stuff with your owners. They have to be on board with all this. If you explain it and position it and frame it in the right manner, they will be your biggest supporters, right? If you're doing a good job with them on the management side, of course, they're going to support you if you want to be able to provide a better service at either the same cost or a lower cost, they'll applaud you for doing that, right? So it's been, it's been really good. And we just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat the same model. Once we, we, we can establish that we've done things well within our own portfolio, the doorpreneur magic is only happens when you open the doors to the general public. That's when everything changes. You're now no longer just servicing your own properties. You're now open to the public. And that's where the limits are gone. You can grow as big as you, you want to go. And, and for us, we, we hit a milestone last year. Super proud that one of our side business is now bigger than our management company. Nice. And that's, again, that was a big moment for the book in terms of, okay, this, I got to share this because 
I think it's, it's, it's so critical for other property managers that I know that struggle. You know, I, a lot of guys could stop at two or 300 doors and they've had enough, but financially they got to keep going. So this provides maybe a different avenue. They can go into different things. So what are some of your best practices from a uh, property management perspective, things that you guys do? And, and it seems like you always start with your own property, your prof- you kind of experiment with your own portfolio a little bit and you kind of go outward, which is kind of cool. But what are some of your best practices that you, that you have that you implement for you and your, and your owners? Some of the things, obviously, communication is a big one. Proper accounting is probably one of the key aspects of the management industry in itself. We have, you know, for, for us, we have actually a CA on staff when we have two bookkeepers. So we're very accounting heavy. So we provide access, uh, real-time software, cloud-based software to all of our owners to where if they need anything at any moment, at any time of the day, they can get access to the financials. And we're basically one phone call away. That's one thing that I've always wanted to do for my owners is, uh, I think I, I put it in the book somewhere, is answer the damn phone. <laughs> when people call, Answer the phone, especially when it comes to your owners. If they have a question, you don't hear from them much. So, you, you know, you got to be able to take the time to communicate with them and see what's going on with them. So proactively and not always reactively, right? Reaching out, how they doing? Let them know, you know, drive by the property once in a while. Take a picture of it. Hey, you know, everything's good. The building's standing. Rents are solid. You know, we're planning for a 3% increase next year. You know, have a great weekend type thing. So I'm big in that in terms of, I also, you mentioned at the start to where, Property managers, in my opinion, are a real estate investor's best partner. We often know stuff before anything becomes public. We have access to a lot of information from a lot of different people, great contacts. So communication, very, very important. Due diligence in terms of maintenance is another thing. We're incredibly strong on maintenance within our organization. I believe a well-kept property will be an asset that an owner can be proud of long-term and it'll allow us to keep good tenants, good, you know, low vacancy rates and all that stuff. So we try to educate them a lot. We try to work with them, you know, in a lot of those cases to be able to keep the properties in tip top shape so that we can, you know, that we're not lagging behind from a market perspective. And I I would say probably lastly, communication is a big one. Also um, education. This is something that we started out a few years ago. Uh, a few owners kept on asking us in terms of being educated from a market perspective and putting yourself out there. So myself, I'm kind of the, the, the face of my company. So I make it it's a job for me to go out and look at and study different areas in terms of what people are doing. So last year, I did a lot of research on smart apartments and prop tech and all this kind of stuff. It's probably a little bit more advanced in the States than it is here. And it's like, okay, well, how... You know, how can I take what that big REIT is doing in their 10,000 unit portfolio? How can I distill that and make it make sense to a guy that owns a sixplex or a 12 unit? How can I use some of those strategies or some of those ideas? So I'm a tech geek at heart. So technology is one of those places I love, but just being able to stay up to speed in terms of what's going on from a market perspective condense it down and to be able to make it applicable to my owners, uh, either for rents, how do we generate more revenue, coinomatic machines versus uh, coin machines, uh, having the new craze is having like these internet ISP type services and buildings uh, where they can generate some revenue. So I love doing that and I love being able to share that with my investors. All right, so you're definitely an unusual property manager. But on that yeah. note, can you can you can you talk about some of more, some of the more unusual things that you've done to either 
decrease expenses or increase revenue? And you've talked about some of those. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously everybody knows, oh, if I upgrade an accounter and make it all look pretty, I get my rents are higher or I put LED lighting and like that's like kind of basic stuff. But anything yeah. that you've done, you know, where it's a little more unusual, a little more innovative. So I don't know how innovative it is, but the whole coin machine situation. So for years, for us, it was old school, you know, quarters and loonies and all uh, I don't know if you got a lot of Canadians listening, but a lot of coins in the washers and dryers. So we're now transitioning over to, you know, automatic card-based washers and dryers in all of our buildings. It has been a game changer in terms of expenses because for the last five or six years, we've been having a lot of break-ins in, in a lot of our buildings. They go in and try to get into these machines. They get like five, 10 bucks in, in quarters. But the problem is the damage that they do to the machines. They tear these things apart to get in to get five bucks. And they tear open the entrance doors. So we've been able to, we're, we're transitioning. Oh, we did like five or 600 units last year. And we're going to finish them this year in terms of all card-based. So no more cash on site, no more quarters, no more break-ins. Decrease the expenses. The take-home on the coin is not as high, but the overall savings on the maintenance repairs is night and day. The ROI has been amazing. The other area is uh, internet services for the units. We've done this in probably... I'd say seven or eight different uh, larger complexes that we have to where we actually get a, a kind of a built out system to where we can provide internet services to each one of the units. That's been an area to where the, you know, the margins are not huge, but an extra five, $10 a month that the owner can make over the course of the year does make a significant difference. So that's been fun. Other services that we're currently looking at, but we haven't implemented yet because I haven't found the right way to do this. And maybe you can shed some light to see if you've ever heard of this is again, it's the whole smart apartment technology, Bluetooth, Alexa, keyless entry all over the place. These platforms are becoming very, very nice to look at. It's like, wow, this stuff is cool, but it's expensive. It's like a thousand to 2000 bucks from the places that I've costed it out per unit for implementation. So it's a huge outlay for our owners and where the ROI is, you know, five to 10 years. So a lot of these guys, they don't see the value. So, you know, we've even, we've even been toying around with possibly starting our own financing component to where we'll buy it and we'll finance it out to the owners over small monthly payments so that it's essentially a lot easier them on the long term in terms of no big outlay. So that's something that we've been very, very seriously looking at for uh, 2019 and now coming into 2020. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are great. We've uh, we've done, and we're only just uh, the tip of the iceberg, but we've used companies like Save Water Co. to help us save some of the water. And, oh, yep. And, and it's, it's it, you spend, you spend financing, they finance their, their services so that basically you can repay that loan out of the saved cash flow, right? So, a lot of times you're buying a building and there's stuff dripping everywhere, leaking everywhere. And yeah, you can buy the, the sensors where you can essentially okay. put them in all the different spots. Yeah. yeah. That was part of one of the companies that we were researching. That was part of their solution as well. So you put one under the kitchen sink, bathroom, hot water tanks. And another one that we looked at, some buildings will have like the main entrance of the building. So I know different areas are different in terms of how water is charged or if you pay by consumption, but in a 50-unit building, if all of a sudden my water bill doubles, it's kind of one of those situations where it's reactive. It's like, oh, God, and now I got to go through 50 apartments to check their sinks or toilets to see what's leaking. And um, that type of technology, I'm hoping, really matures quickly because 
it's funny because I've had about probably three of those incidents in, in the last two months. That's interesting. Well, you let me know when that happens because that would really help us a lot. <laughs> but this is exactly what happens. All of a sudden, your, yeah. your water bill is high and the water bill is from a, a month ago. And you're like, oh, of course, so somewhere water is now where? Where is it? Where, where in my 120 units is a toilet leaking exactly? Yeah. Uh, you know, we had an instance where literally a toilet was leaking in a boarded mm -hmm. up outhouse that was boarded up. It wasn't even part of the thing. And it was leaking like it, for literally for months. No one could freaking find the thing. And yeah. so if you can install meters somehow, at least in the unit, it doesn't even have to be on the faucet and the toilet, but at least at the unit, if you can figure out where it's leaking, that would be a huge, huge help. I, I think it's a little unfair from a utility company perspective. Like, I don't know the technology in these places, but if they can tell me a month later, can they not tell me in real time, like the next day <laughs> that, hey, something's going on in your building because you're, the, the usage like just spiked 70% last night. Yeah. Ah, perfect. Yeah. I'm on it, right? So instead of 30 days of that waste, I can fix it right away. But. It, it seems like the apartment industry is definitely ripe for all kinds of technology to be applied. Oh. I mean, if you look at you know how technology has has affected the hotel industry and the taxi industry, it almost seems like you know like this has got to be next. You know, and and I want to be. It sounds like you want to be on the forefront of that because it's going to make a, a material difference to the tenants. It's going to improve their quality of life and their experience, and hopefully, it'll improve our bottom line as well. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's slow coming in because it's. Like we, we deal with a lot with builders. Like I just, we just opened the brand new 55 unit and like these guys are not even thinking of it. And that's, that really is kind of like, I don't know. I don't get it. It's like, I, I understand the cost of construction are just skyrocketing right now in terms of raw materials and just lumber alone. But we're building phase three of this project. And I told them, I'm like, I'm sharing all this cool stuff. And they're like, Ugh, cost, cost, cost. I, I get it. It's got to make sense financially. But I, I hope there are some better solutions that are a little bit more cost effective to come across soon. So it's been it's been uh, it was actually a good read, uh, the Dorpreneur book. At first, I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to read this because I'm not a property manager. Uh, but I think <laughs> uh, once I got wrapping around on it, like we talked about before, you really have to know you really have to know enough about the property management business to be able to manage a manager. And I just looking back on it right now, I think even for my own benefit, I should have known a lot more about the actual property management business. And your book really kind of gives you an inside uh, behind the scenes look as you kind of build your, your first property management company and kind of get it going. And then you're like, oh, I can maybe add this kind of service or that kind of service. And then you kind of, you make it, you make that profitable and you kind of expand geographically. And I think it's a great model for even for apartment buildings, right? You, you start with a core, you try to acquire other buildings around that to get economies of scale. And then Absolutely. once you've got that going, you're looking for other ways that you can increase revenue or decrease expenses like we just talked about here. It's no different than an investor. Let's say he's, he's buying properties in his city. He's starting to take care of it. He buys X amount of you know, XYZ number of units. He grows, adds to the portfolio. Now he can afford you know, an administration staff. Then he can afford his own maintenance staff. And then he continues to grow. I got all this staff now. I could probably cut my own lawn. Yeah, I can do that. C continues to grow. Oh, I think I could probably spend 5,000 bucks and go buy a truck and put a plow in front of it. And we could have one of the maintenance guys kind of do the plowing for us while he's not working on units. It's like, it's all the same concept, right? It's, it's being able to, if you have an infrastructure, an environment that's ripe and able to be utilized in different capacities, then you've got to take advantage of it. I think it's foolish not to. Again, for all of our companies, 
it's the same accountants, maintenance guys wear different hats. My admin staff wear different hats. Now we do have people that work just in the sole companies, but our office, it's one office. Everybody comes in and goes. So rent is, you know, now cut in half because I got all these other people sharing the cost. It's a beautiful model when you, when you can implement it in what you do. Yeah, you have multiple businesses that are synergistic and, and create efficiencies for you. So, you know, you're, you're heading up multi, all these kind of businesses, which is impressive. Yet, you, you know, you find time to write a book and go on podcasts and you, you look like you're in shape, maybe even a little tan. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I and, just got back from St. Martin. Oh, so there you go. See, so, so is there, is there yeah. some kind of uh, discipline or personal discipline that you do that, you know, allows you to have a lifestyle that you have, even though it seems like you have all these complicated businesses? A big part of the writing the book was one, a, to get my message across in terms of this model that we, I think we figured out. And the other one was to reach out to property managers to share some of the experiences from a personal development perspective that I've had. There is without a doubt, if you'd ask anybody that's ever touched this industry, they will tell you it's not easy. It's tough. You got to have some thick skin. You got to have some patience and you just got to have the war with all to kind of be, have some self-awareness. And I am a huge believer in certain types of practices. So I'm very athletic, very sportive. So I take care of myself from a physical and fitness standpoint in terms of a, a meditation practice. Uh, I can't tell you the power that I have before. For me, I got to leave my house in the morning. I got to make sure that I'm okay here before I can step into that office and start jumping into the world of problems from tenants and owners and staff and vendors. Like I got to be okay here before I get into that. So for me, meditation personally is a very, very powerful thing, journaling and stuff like that. I also believe in having great relationships with people and the family, your children, your spouse. We're all human. If we get into a fight and we go to the office, we're not going to be at our best. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that I, that practices that I do on a daily basis to make sure that I am on point every day so I can walk into my office and perform like I have to perform. So, you know, morning rituals, you know, whether if it's eating habits, whether if it's athletic prowess, I make time for myself. My first three hours of my day are for Tony. Tony, when he wakes up, is a little crazy. He's got to do his thing. Then he can hit the door and he's less crazy. That's, that's my routine. It's interesting. Morning, and, morning routine has made a material difference for me as well. And a lot of the things uh, that you describe, though, come from self-awareness. And you can only develop yeah. self-awareness when you're still enough. When you're talking about, oh, I'm spending time in my relationships, you can only do that once you become aware of what's actually important to you and maybe what's not working so well, and you can only get that by introspection that comes from being quiet in the morning. So that the morning routine that you described, I don't know about the first three hours, but certainly the first hour and a half, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're a little extreme, but, but I, I mean, you can see the result in, you know, in your lifestyle and a lot of people skip that stuff. They wake up and they're immediately in firefighting mode. And, and I used to yep. be that for, for many different years. I don't know if, what your experience was as well, but that's something that's changed for me. Absolutely. I, I was first introduced to the world of professional development, I would say in 2012. A guy handed me a book by one of my favorite authors now, uh, Robin Sharma. It's called The Leader with No Title. And it, it blew me away. It kind of changed my entire perspective. And I started devouring every personal development book I could find. I was like starting asking myself all these powerful questions like, you know, what's your purpose? And, you know, what are you meant here to, you know, all these deep things that required like a lot of self-reflection. And I was kind of like, oof, I don't know if I can handle all this stuff. 
So it's been years and years and years of practice. And the best investment that anybody can make is in themselves. The better you know yourself, the better you can serve everybody around you. And I make the time for me because I know if I don't, I'm a bit of a, I can be a bit of a train wreck. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I've learned that over the years. And it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's just part of me now. It's like, uh, you know, I, I have to do certain things in order to perform at my best. Yeah, it just, it just uh, Robert Kiyosaki often uh, has this, he talks a lot about this be, do, have thing. You got to be first oh, yeah. before you do anything so you can have, right? And most of us know that we got to do stuff to have, but we skip the being part. And I, it took me a long time to figure that out, but that's exactly what you're describing. You're really working on your being first, first yep. part of the day before you do anything, anything else. So I, I really love that. Tony, how can people connect with you? So the best ways to connect is doorpreneur.com. I'm on uh, Facebook, Doorpreneur, uh, Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. That's right. And the book is on Amazon, right? Yes, sir. Books on Amazon, uh, chapters in Canada, Barnes and Noble, pretty much anywhere is online. Good. All right. So you guys grab that yep. book, Doorpreneur. It's a, it's a bright orange book. It's a great read and Tony's a great guy. Thanks so much. Yeah, there it is. So yeah, that's right. If you guys are watching this, if you guys are listening to this on iTunes, hop over to YouTube because you can see both of us here interacting and you can also let some comments below, ask Tony some questions. And when this thing airs, we'll make sure Tony comes back and answers your questions about property management and then head over to Amazon and look for Doorpreneur as well. So Tony, great, great having you on the show today. Thank you, Michael. Much appreciated. All right. We started asking ourselves three questions. One is, should you self-manage or not? Number two, how do you hire better property managers? And number three, how do you essentially make more money with the properties that you have? Okay, so hopefully the conversation with Tony, you found that very useful for your own business as well. Here's kind of my thoughts on this stuff. And I love the way Tony framed whether you should self-manage or not, because you do have to, one way or another, know enough about the management to manage the manager. And he says, hey, do it for some time, period of time. Could be a month, could be a year. I think that's good advice. I think before I was too eager to say, hey, just you know, trust the manager and you just you know make sure that you manage the manager properly. And yes, there are metrics you can monitor and you should monitor, though I found that doing that is more reactive than proactive. All the numbers you're going to get are going to be at least three to six years old. Right, three to six weeks old, and and so it, it's not really being very proactive. So really understanding that 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 management uh, yourself is actually a good thing, and certainly not being hands off. Uh, while this is a passive income, I truly believe that there's no such thing as purely passive income, nor should there be. Okay. I remember in the restaurant days, I didn't go to uh, buy one of my restaurants for like three years and I got so complacent, so hands off, I had no idea what was going on when the wheels came off. So don't be that owner of an apartment building where you have no idea what's going on. So make sure that you're involved. It's all about uh, getting, setting expectations up front. So don't set the expectations that you're going to be one of those passive investors. Set the expectations that you're going to be one of, one of the more active investors. And it's not like you're spending hours a week on this stuff. It's one call once a week. Could be 30 minutes, depending on the situation. It's going to be a little bit more in the in the beginning than at the end. Uh, and then monthly reviews. And Tony talked about uh, some of the metrics and things to talk about on those calls. I think that's really, really key. I think also building a relationship with that property manager on a personal level is also super important because Tony says they are your most important partner on that property. Now, in our case... We're now at the size, we're about 15, 1600 units, and we're starting to ask ourselves the question, should we create our own property management company? 
based on the doorpreneur method, it's all about creating a, a minimal revenue base to be able to afford things. So in, in our case, as you uh, just look at some of my peers who start approaching 1,000 or 1,500 units, their asset management fees and their property management fees in aggregate account for several hundred thousand dollars. And the issue one has when you're managing multiple properties, sometimes over different geographies using different property managers, is the idea of inconsistency just across the board and everything, reporting, processes, t- everything is inconsistent. And some property managers are better in some things and worse in others and, and vice versa. So you're getting a lot of inconsistencies. When we want to roll something out across the portfolio, it's extraordinarily different for us to do us because we don't actually control those property managers. We try to influence them. We can threaten that we'll fire them, but really we're trying to influence and getting them to do what we want to do. And it takes a lot of time. My observation is as a company gets larger, most end up self-managing. Certainly by the time they get to 5,000 units, most companies by that point have basically created their own property management company out of necessity. And that's something that we're exploring right now. Again, this is a super advanced thing. I don't want you guys going out there starting a property management company. Though having said that, there is a small number of, of apartment owners. Some of them are some of our coaches, at least two that I think of have their own property management companies. And it, even though... It's something I never wanted to get into. It simplifies a lot of things. It complicates it on one hand. Now you're dealing with a bunch of people, but it simplifies. It gives you more control and uniformity across the portfolio. It's something to think about if you're scaling up your your portfolio. something to keep in the back of your mind. Hey, does it make sense for me to start my own property management company? And it really starts with a single person, right? You come across a potential partner or someone that has experience in the management space and you decide, hey, why don't we partner on this deal? And this kind of... Uh, develops into a relationship where you say, hey, why don't we start a property management company? We'll start with our own portfolio and then we'll, we may consider providing management services to the outside. And that's what Tony describes in his doorpreneur method is you start for your internal use first and then you expand it to the outside. So it's something to, to think about. So that's number one. Number two, you know, what can we do to hire better managers right from the start. And I think a lot of it has to do with people and systems. Everything has to do with people systems, right? So really understanding, you know, how they manage to a pro forma. Describe to me exact workflow. When you approve a $500 expense, what happens from beginning to end? right? Describe that to me and really asking them how they do, what their processes are. And you can kind of see how strong their systems are or how weak they are. You may also, and I highly recommend this, talk to the regional manager that's going to be in charge of your property. And even the manager, you want to talk to those people because we see so much. It's not like you're talking to the president or the CEO, whoever of the company. You want to talk to the person who's responsible day to day. Well, even, you know, you can be working with a property manager using uh, one manager somewhere uh, and, and the same company somewhere else and you can get different results. Why? Because a manager managing those two are two different people. So really talking to the people on the ground are super important. So I would say pay a lot more attention to the systems and the people that they have. And and finally, how do we drive more revenue? That's an ongoing question. I find this is a, a major challenge with most property managers. And Tony is not a normal property manager. He has committed himself to personal development. And I find that many property management companies have not. 
They have done these things for 10, 15, 20, forever, and there's really no reason for them to do anything else. Very few property managers are, are looking at new technology and looking to push the envelope. And I, I do believe that if you're a property manager right now listening or watching this, the early adopters are going to take business away from people who don't. That's already happening. We've hired property managers and passed on others, not because they didn't know what they were doing. They're super experienced. They were just not using the latest technology. They weren't using the latest things. Some don't even accept credit cards online. Like it's insane. Why? Because it, they never have. So really looking at a proper manager from how committed are they to trying to do new things and what can you do? Really studying the proper management space like we did today. What technologies are out there? What's, what are some of the people doing? Because you as the owner can oftentimes be strategic and you're not in the weeds, right? Your property manager is in the weeds a lot and sometimes it's hard for them to actually look around and look strategically. You have that. You can say, hey, I found this cool technology. I, had, I got a demo. I think you and I should look at that. And if your property manager is open to doing new things, they can say, this is great. Let's do it. Let's take a look at it. Otherwise, your property manager will go, yeah, we don't have the time right now to do that and we're not going to do that. So really look for a property manager that is open to doing new things. All right, this was all about property management today, guys. Hope you found that useful. You guys take care. Catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.